Hello and welcome to the second episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate Liz Hansley. And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comedian Dr Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know how hard it is to raise children in a modern world and we want to help. What have we got lined up for this episode, Liz? Today on the show, we're going to hear a review of The Princess Bride and we'll be shooting the breeze about a complaint that was made in the US against TikTok for the way they collect and share children's data. But first up, we've got... Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out and demystify it so that you can better inform your family's decisions about screens. Today, we're discussing a study from Singapore about an aspect of social media maybe we don't think about too much, and that's influencers. So stay tuned. As Kim said today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research about influencers. Kim, where's this research from? This paper comes from Singapore, from Nanyang Technological University, and the title is Fancying the New Rich and Famous? Explicating the Roles of Influencer Content, Credibility and Parental Mediation in Adolescence, Parasocial Relationship, Materialism and Purchase Intentions. Now, I know that's a lot of buzzwords in there, but essentially they're trying to find out how effective influencers are on your child and their purchasing behaviour. In this particular article, they actually surveyed 500 teenagers from the United States and they asked them a bunch of questions like, how effective is this influencer? Um, How um, trustworthy are they? How would you rate them in attractiveness? And uh, would you be willing to buy any of their products? Um, What would you want if you had X amount of money? And would you buy certain products because of the influencer's posts? And if they promoted any particular products, would you um, be willing to purchase it? And what did they find in this research? Well, essentially, an influencer is someone who creates content. And uh, this content is usually to entertain an audience, their viewers, their listeners. It's to inform them. It's to uh, give them some value about, usually it's about a review of some kind of product. But influencers sometimes are paid or sponsored by companies because companies have realized that influencers have a very special relationship with their listeners. Listeners often find that they can relate to influencers much more closely than to say movie stars or people on TV because social media has this almost two-way interaction where you can actually just flick a message or comment about your particular influencer and comment on the interactions that they're having with either companies or other influencers. So the researchers looked at various factors that um, were going to be influential in determining who's influential? Yeah, well, the whole relationship between uh, the influencer and their followers is that the followers believe that they're more like friends rather than celebrities, someone that they can reach someone that that looks like them, that they can relate to, that's in their demographic. They're also influenced by how entertaining the influencer is. Um, The other aspect is how attractive the influencer is and how uh, trustworthy the influencer is. So there are so many other factors that can influence your child and what they're watching. Did this resonate with what you see in your practice? Oh, well, it actually resonates with my own family. I I, uh, have young niece and nephews and one particular nephew, he loves watching this family of ninjas. They're like 
four kids, brothers and one sister, acting out um, scripted scenes and plays and there's a storyline and it's very entertaining. These kids have natural energy and he just loves watching them. And at the end, they'll have some kind of competition within the story, but the prize is usually something related to the wrestling world wrestling entertainment industry. Huh. So it's like a little toy at the end. It's like the best child gets the toy. You win the toy, yay! But um, it's interesting because on the bottom of the video, it says this is a uh, sponsored um, or paid product mm. placement. Right, mm. yeah. Okay, and so how do you and your nephew's parents feel about that? It was interesting because uh, my sister-in-law did bring it up and created, a, I guess, a teachable moment, uh, a conversation starter where she asked her children, do you understand what product placement is and went and Great. explained it to them. So in this particular article, they did discuss how parenting mediation or parenting styles can influence how effective or not effective an influencer can be and your parenting style can be active or restrictive so it's either you have a conversation about influencers um, streaming videos and content and help your child to make more critical decisions about whether that's appropriate or whether you know they'll be influenced by what they're saying or whether uh, restricted, so you know, not allowing your child to have access to YouTube or not allowing them to have access to social media. And it's actually maybe even unhelpful to restrict your child completely from social media because they don't develop those critical thinking um, abilities. Yeah, so if you start them younger in a situation where you can talk things through with them and it becomes, like you say, a teachable moment, yep. that's actually preferable to cutting it off completely yeah. and then when the child's 13, yep. suddenly woomph, you know, it's a no holds barred, yeah, they can and go it, do whatever they want. Yeah, and I think um, it's not about um, giving them free reign and not setting any limits or boundaries. I think it's definitely you still need to set some limits and boundaries. Were there any other interesting bits that you found? One interesting uh, piece of information is that they mentioned that parents of children aged 7 to 12 had high confidence in their children's ability to manage their own internet use and were less interested or actively updating their own knowledge about the internet. And this particular article warned parents to be alert and to keep up to date about recent phenomenons and how social media is increasing in popularity. Will the funding work into your practice as a psychiatrist in any way? Oh, most definitely. I think parents need to be aware of their child's um, social media use and be aware that your child could be following someone who you don't actually think their characteristics or their uh, character are desirable. Um, they could be promoting um, things like drinking alcohol, for example, or spending money on things that you don't actually want your child to value. Another interesting fact was that kind of relates back to me is that they talk about how a father's materialism can affect your child's buying habits and also professional athletes can influence your buying habits. So for me growing up, for example, you know, I didn't really see my dad spending lots of money on things that our family didn't need, brand names, that sort of thing. We were sort of quite frugal with our spending, you'd like to describe it like that way but um, I used to love following Michael Jordan you know he's worth billions and billions of dollars and he was you know the original um, sports influencer mm -hmm. 
Yeah. One of the things that really resonates for me in those findings is that idea of um, being the mediator as a parent and, and having the conversation constantly mm. with your children because it's if, if it's something that's such a big part of their life, you know, you want to talk to them about it anyway. And if you start really young, they just get used to sharing those experiences with you and they know that, that you care and that you're interested and you know, maybe you're learning something too and you know, kids love the idea that the, the teaching process is going two ways and they can be some really rich and, and helpful conversations for yeah. the, the parent-child relationship, yeah. I think, and also for the child's healthy media use going forward. So that's something that I'd yeah. really endorse. And yeah. Well, thanks for that chat it's and right. we'll uh, move on now to the next segment. Thanks. Well, there were a couple of pretty interesting tips from Kim about how to make influencers less influential. And the paper was by Chen Lu and Hye Kyung Kim. The title is Fancying the New Rich and Famous, Explicating the Roles of Influencer Content Credibility and Parent Mediation in Adolescents' Parasocial Relationship Materialism and Purchase Intentions. You don't really need to remember all that. It will be in the show notes. Uh, anyway, it was published in November 2019 in Volume 10 of the journal Frontiers in Psychology. Now it's time for our movie review and Martha is going to take us through an old favourite from a new perspective. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Again. Martha, movie reviewer for the ACCM and also a mother of three. Today I'm talking about that 1987 classic film, The Princess Bride. Now many, many of you out there will know exactly what film I'm talking about, as you probably saw it when you were a child, and it may even have been one of your very favourites. Well, it certainly was one of mine, but I have to admit that I had honestly no idea when I'd be able to revisit it again with my own children, and also no idea whether it has stood the test of time or become an outdated nightmare. If you've never watched it, The Princess Bride is based on a novel that was published in 1973 by William Goldman. It's a fairy tale adventure complete with princesses in peril, true love, dangerous beasts, fabulous sword fighting and some very romantic notions of vengeance. The film sets us up for some good storytelling with a young Fred Savage playing a small boy tucked up in bed home from school sick. His grandfather has come over to keep him company and bought with him this book to read to his grandson. At first, the boy is totally grossed out by what he thinks is a mushy story about kissing. But soon, of course, he's completely hooked as the plot thickens. The rest of the film dives into this fairy tale universe where the beautiful Buttercup has been separated from her true love, the handsome farm boy Wesley, and must now marry the awful Prince Humperdinck. Just before their wedding, three outlaws kidnap her and whisk her away. But they soon realise that they're being followed by a mysterious masked man who is gaining on them at every step. One by one, the outlaws try to defeat the masked man using their fighting skills, their brute strength or their wit. Little do they know that they're also being chased by Prince Humberdink and his band of soldiers. The masked man whisks Buttercup away and together they try to outrun the prince and save her from her terrible fate. So, is it as good as I remember? Well, yes, actually, I think it might even be better. I think when you watch this as a child, the story rolls along so well and the drama is so exciting 
But on another more adult level, this is such a funny, witty and clever movie. It absolutely makes fun of itself and the whole genre at every step. There are some very funny moments in this film. So can you watch it with your kids? Definitely, but there are some very scary moments for small children in this film. The kind of scary that leads to disturbed sleep and big questions. In case you don't get a chance to read the full review, I'll warn you that there are eel-infested waters, giant swamp-dwelling rodents, and a very traumatic torture scene where someone dies after a lot of screaming. Most kids under the age of eight are going to find these scenes a bit much, and if you've got particularly sensitive children, I'd even hold off until they're a little bit older. One thing I did notice when watching this film is how powerless and objectified the character of Princess Buttercup is. Although this is kind of hidden in the context of a fairy tale, it could definitely be something you talk about with your kids afterwards, perhaps a chance to compare how women's roles in film have changed over time. So I hope I've given you the information you need to decide whether it's time to revisit this classic with your own kids or even watch it for the first time ever. If you need a more detailed breakdown of the content you can expect in this film, please head over and read our full review on the ACCM website. Bye now and thanks for watching. And when Martha talks about the ACCM website, that's childrenandmedia.org.au. You can find the reviews by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab and then you can sort the list or search by title alphabetically, by age suitability, by classification or by date added. All of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development and they cover every G and PG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002 as well as selected M-rated movies and some that are available on streaming services. There are also reviews of game-style apps and apps that may appeal to young children. Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to join the CMA Facebook community, facebook.com forward slash Australian Council on Children and the Media, all one word. More details later on how to keep in touch and give feedback. Now it's time to have a chat about our policy development of the day. Liz is going to take us through a complaint made in the US against the very popular video streaming app. TikTok. Kim, what do you know about TikTok? Essentially, TikTok is uh, 15 second videos that are done on your smartphone and you can share them, express however you like through comedy, little stories, dancing, karaoke, lip syncing, and you can share it with the TikTok community all around the world. And I gather that you have friends or contact, some sort of similar concept to Facebook, that there are people that you're you connected to. You can follow to. people and people can follow you back, but really the algorithm can spit your video onto anyone's feed. Okay. You can probably set some privacy settings, but really, I mean, to get all the likes and get all the views, you want everyone to be able to see it. Huh. Right. Well, um, there's a bit of stuff going on in relation to TikTok mm. that's worth knowing about. Yeah, yeah. Listeners might have heard that in the news, the Australian government is thinking of investigating TikTok. Does that mean that parents should try to limit children's use of the app? Well, look, the Australian government's concerns don't relate directly to children's interests as such. Mm -hmm. They're more about whether the Chinese government is able to access people's data. Mm. So it's more a sort of thing between the governments rather than anything to do with children yep. uh, or families. But... For parents and families, there is always that question about anybody getting access mm. to children's data. And, you know, it's not just the, children, the Chinese government. You don't want anybody to get it. And um, so we're interested in what information they gather, how they do it, and how they use the information once they have it. 
Yep. So is anybody taking any steps in relation to all that? Well, yes. There's an organisation in the US called the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood, which is sort of like the counterpart to ACCM over there, and, and they're friends of ours. Um, anyway, there's also an outfit called the Centre for Digital Democracy, and uh-huh. they've gotten together to bring a complaint against TikTok to the Federal Trade Commission, which is sort of like the equivalent of the ACCC here. It's the Consumer Protection Body. Right. So when did all this happen? May 2020 was when it started. And so what is the law that TikTok broke? What did they breach? Well, it's a law in the US that's known as COPPA. Some people might have heard of it. It stands for Children's Online Privacy Protection Act or Mm -hmm. COPPA. And it basically lays down a bunch of rules about how online service providers collect and use children's information with the cutoff of the age 13. It's Uh all about protecting children under 13 and how they deal with parents, what sort of information they provide to parents, how they get consent from parents to collect children's info, all that sort of thing. Yeah, and that sounds pretty brave of the non-for-profits to take on a tech giant as big as TikTok. Yeah, well, A, they're very well organised and Mm -hmm. and very knowledgeable. And yeah, but they are brave as well. And at the same time, in this particular case, they would have known they were on pretty firm ground because the company that owns TikTok has already admitted to breaches of copper uh, with their earlier app that you might remember called Musical.ly. Uh Yeah, I do remember Musical.ly because as a trainee psychiatrist, this was coming out when I was over in Sydney. And there were a lot of parents complaining that children were being exposed to online predators and also there was something in the news about children being exposed to pornography because you know children were sharing explicit um, content on that right yeah yeah well you know it'd be great to get the attention of the authorities to all of Mm. those issues as well but as it stands the question of protecting personal data is the easiest one to get attention on Mm. so that's you know what this is focusing on but Certainly ACCM is very concerned about the kind of content that children actually get to see and share. And I'm sure that the these complainants would feel the same way too. But anyway, they've done it all on the basis of privacy. And coming back to what's going on, or the, the context of this, the company that owns TikTok had previously been been fined $5.7 million in the US uh, back uh-huh. in early 2019 for the breach of copper rules. Right. So $5.7 million, is that much in the scheme of things? Well, no, it's not actually. It's a lot to you and me, but the company earns billions. I read somewhere that TikTok actually earns something like $5.6 billion in the first three months of 2020. Yeah, so that's $5.6 billion in three months, and here they are yep. being fi- fined $5.7 million, yeah. which is a thousandth of yeah. that. Wow. So, yeah, it, it's only a tiny drop in the bucket of what they earn. So it, that fine really amounted to a slap over the wrist and not much more. And the complainants did their own investigation. And they say they've worked out that the company's still in breach, and so they're asking the FTC to look at it again. Right. So what exactly are they supposed to have done wrong? Again, it's all about privacy, basically, um, but there's a few different angles to it. The complainants say that the company is still collecting data from children under 13, and not only that, it hasn't deleted information it collected before the first case that it was ordered to delete and agreed to do so. And when you say data, what are you referring to there? The Act defines personal information. That's the, the term that's used in the Act. They define that to include a first and last name, an address, an email address, a telephone number, a social security number, that kind of thing. It, it doesn't have to be any combination of those things. It could be just one of those things. And you can see why parents wouldn't want a company collecting that kind of info about their children, especially without permission, not to mention what the company might then do with the information, which uh, is potentially a really grave concern. 
So that's exactly what they agreed to stop doing. But then, like I say, the complainant says they've kept on with it. So well, that's where they're at now. That just seems absolutely crazy that they got you know in trouble for it and now they're continuing to breach it. Well, How do they think they can get away with something like that? Well, look, you know, you can imagine a big clever company like that has all kinds of tricks up its sleeve. And in this case, the complainants say they've taken a page out of the Google Playbook. Right which is they set up a special area of their site for children under 13. Mm -hmm. And in that site, they do comply with COPPA, with the rules about collecting data and so on. But then children are incentivized to sign up for the so-called full experience where they aren't protected. That just sounds wrong to me. It sounds like, you know, making the casino an adult place, but then having a, a little childcare center or playground right next door where <laughs> children can be exposed to adults walking in and out. And then well, if they want, they can get the full experience. And one of the things that the complainants say is that TikTok's made it way too easy for children to get uh-huh. grown-up Kids accounts. Kids walking on top of their shoulders in a trench coat <laughs> and a pair of sunglasses walking past security at the casino. Yeah, yeah something like that. Oh, yeah. But what's really interesting is that the difference between the two versions is that in the younger version, you can't upload videos and Uh you can't message other users. Right. So it's really TikTok without it being TikTok. Yeah, that's right. And so if you're a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old, how long are you going to sit around and say, oh, yes, I'll I'll stay with the kiddie version. Thanks, mum and dad. Part of the complaint is that they're saying the company makes it too easy for Mm. underage kids to get grown-up accounts. And then there's the question of the information that's collected about the kind of content the child watches, um, which can then be fed into an algorithm so the app can keep feeding the child more of the same thing. Now, you know, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like history repeating itself. Mm. So what are the complainants trying to get out of this? process well basically they want tiktok to adopt a proper age verification policy and Mm -hmm. comply with copper with the way they collect data Mm -hmm. and in the meantime they're asking for an order to stop the app from registering any more us users they also want the ftc to impose the maximum penalty which could be billions of dollars well there you go yeah so watch this space yeah well we'll uh we'll report back when there's any further developments on that so i'll be keeping an eye out definitely thanks see ya Well, that's about all we have time for today. Yes, that's a wrap for episode two. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch either through our Facebook page or you can email us at outsidethescreenpod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction related on my website, cgiclinic.com, or even book a consultation for me with you and your child. Or if you really like us, you can help by becoming a subscriber on Substack. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. And finally, you can rate and review us on your listening platform to make it easier for others to find us. And And this this has been been the team from Outside the Screen. screen.